two episodes on vampires. Ah, 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 ah. Okay, so this is our second Friend or Foe Friday episode talking about vampires. We did the previous one last Friday. We might come back to this again in the future. It depends on whether we've got stuff to say and whether you guys are interested in hearing us ramble about vampires even more. This episode, we're going to start by talking about a few different games that feature vampires in them and the spin they put on them. And then we'll sort of verge into how they're talked about in popular culture. So... Um, the first one we're going to look at is Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. It's published by Evil Hat Productions and is powered by the Apocalypse game. And it's basically, you know, you play monster hunters. And one of the example monsters given in it is the classic vampire. A vampire based on the novel Dracula. The type of monster is it's described as a queen monster with a motivation to possess and control. The powers it has are it's immortal, it can mesmerise people, transform into a wolf bat or shadow, it's extremely strong, can climb any wall, it's very stealthy. Vampires bitten three times by this vampire become vampires themselves. They control all of the vampires they've created and disease and vermin thrive when they are nearby. However, they have the weaknesses that they must subsist on human blood, must sleep in the soil of their homeland and a wooden stake through the heart dispatches them. So, as we say, pretty much the classic vampire. Now, a lot of the powers and the weaknesses, the actual effects they have in the game, are a bit sort of handled with a light touch in Monster of the Week because it's a powered by the Apocalypse game. So the GM's left to do a bit of heavy lifting when it comes to that. However, I think it's interesting that there's no, there's no sort of uh, system for draining blood or anything like that. It just basically says they've got to drink blood. I like the fact as well it also mentions that they've got to sleep in the soil of their homeland. That's one of the sort of Dracula era style weaknesses. You know, you can't just bed down anywhere. It's got to have like a few handfuls of dirt from your homeland. Hence in Bram Stoker's book where he gets the Demeter to bring loads of boxes of earth over to England. And I think it's a nice little touch that they've gone back to the classic there. Although I can see why a lot of games ignore that because it will be fairly inconvenient. So the second book I've got is also a Power of the Apocalypse one. It's Urban Shadows. And this is a bit more of a sort of, you know, you play monsters style game. And in that, we've got a monster called the Vamp. Described as strong, fast, eternal in age and insatiable in hunger. The vampire is a pure, unadulterated predator. They are a monster, a twisted reflection of the person they once were, doomed to walk the earth and feed their hungers. And again, it's fairly lightly handled because it's powered by the apocalypse. In this, though, you get a few different moves, which are the special abilities empowered by the apocalypse. You get eternal hunger. When you feed off someone, you can use the blood to heal yourself. You can learn secrets about the person whose blood you feed off, so gaining information. You can gain bonuses to future actions, but you have to be careful if you take too much of this, the person can die. You have Irresistible, where it's very easy for you to persuade people to do things. You automatically get a haven, which is a safe place for you. It's easier for you to keep your call. You can use your blood rating for that instead of your other stats because you're entirely motivated by the red stuff. And there's a few other powers, so equivalent with vampires that are in there it doesn't really say a great deal about vampire weaknesses in there although there are these uh, corruption moves where you mark corruption when you pursue a human npc at night um, feeding on something wildly different from humans can have side effects on you 
and you can do like various minor magic powers that are equivalent to like fey powers so you can effectively cross pollinate with some of the uh, other monsters that are in there but those have stuck fairly close to the classical vampires although as we said in the last episode certainly urban shadows is leaning more heavily towards that idea of the vampire as the protagonist rather than the antagonist so what about your book sweetie what have you got correct me if i'm wrong because i'm not really familiar with the urban shadows system but it's interesting that you seem to have gone for two quite sort of generic systems where it's more of like a rule set that you put your own world onto. Yeah. Whereas I've picked out GURPS Discworld and uh, the Angel RPG core book. The Discworld one has a section on vampires. Obviously, this is a GURPS book and it comes with an excellent Dibbler-esque pitch to go and buy GURPS blood types. Um, oh, yeah, because they did a whole book about vampires didn't yeah. they, back in the day, yeah. Um, there is an example character package and then there's a fairly sort of solid description of vampires in the Pratchett world, which you could probably pick up in any, like, generic book about Pratchett books anywhere but this one happens to come with a GURPS vampire package the vampires in that world are quite like interesting in that because it's this sort of in between medieval and like steam world over the course of the story they are effectively like the Victorian aristocrats they're all sort of scheming like manipulators or for the most part they are and for a big part of a lot of the stories, it's not about someone going up against a vampire and staking them through the heart. It's about proving that the vampire's philosophy is wrong. I don't know quite how well that would translate to a roleplay game. Uh, this is probably why we've never picked up the Pratchett game and played it as such. Um, the other one that I've picked up, we have played. Uh, in fact, I believe you were the vampire in the Buffy slash Angel game that I ran many years ago. Yeah. um, Where you were the vampire with a soul. Uh, The bit that I've flipped open to is the section for vampires as monsters. And it's interesting that in this book, rather than just going for, like, here's your details on vampires, it starts out by discussing, like, how you're going to use them in the game. Are they just going to be cannon fodder? Yeah. Are they going to be like an archetypal monster that's going to turn up for one episode are they going to be like a sneaky monster that you don't know what's going on behind the scenes the hidden they call it the metaphor which is the symbolic monster and then obviously you've got your big bads as well for this sort of series or this sort of story rather the angel roleplay game is sort of like the campaign version where the buffy roleplay games more memorable one-off stories Um, so it goes into a lot of details of like how to make your vampires work as characters there's like six pages of it which I'm not going to read all of out but it's got it written in the form of director's notes as well which again much like the Pratchett one being worded in a sort of Pratchett style it's nice to see a little bit of Joss Whedon coming through in this a little bit of the style of the show coming through into the game yeah I think it's a handy thing as well I mean obviously it comes from like the mythology of the show where certainly Angel and later Spike both have souls to varying degrees Mm -hmm. but um, I think it's 
it's quite a useful thing in terms of the game because it very clearly delineates between like the the player vampire if you will and the monster vampire so allowing you to sort of have both of them in the same game but having like a, an in-character rationale for it rather than mm-hmm. just being like oh they're a good vampire there's like an actual difference yeah it goes on to give you some handy examples including Dala, Drusilla, a couple of like minions and there's a dusting chart to determine how like good your kill is. I can't remember quite what that mechanism is in the game, but we should probably talk as well about the the fact in sort of Buffy and Angel, the idea of like when you become a vampire is that like a demon enters you and like replaces yeah. your soul, isn't it? You're gone, and a demon moves in and takes over. Yeah. Which I think is an interesting thing because obviously, in a lot of the, the the sort of legends, it varies a lot depending on like how much of the person comes back. So in some of them, it's it's pretty much the person, but they have all these different drives and sort of weird hungers. Whereas in Buffy and Angel, at first it seems like well, it should hardly be any of them at all. It's just this demon. But then you're like, oh well, Angel gets his soul back, but he's still got vampire powers he seems to have like two separate personalities where spike seems to just be like the same guy whether he's evil or not see that's kind of to do with how each of them get their souls i think and it's never made clear whether angel has got the same soul back or whether he's been given a new soul whereas spike goes out and earns a soul and it doesn't really matter like because he's like gone on the journey of learning to stop hurting humans, learning to fight evil because he likes the world and all the little people walking around like Happy Meals on legs. I mean, he was doing that before he liked Buffy and before he got his chip in his head. In case you can't tell, Hannah's a big <laughs> fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Big, big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But because it's a different character journey, you can't really compare the two. Apart I, th- from I think to it's. Say I that, think it's like, fair to say though their their vampire mythology varies depending on what they need it to do in the plot. Oh yeah, and I think that's even addressed in here. Uh, I mean, there's a page of do's and don'ts, and I can think of an example of every single thing on the don'ts. Guns don't really hurt vampires, except when they do. Poison and drugs don't really hurt vampires, except when they do. Vampires can't carry diseases accept them and they can so what about using vampires in scenarios like things that we've seen in films i know um certainly people have pitched to me i don't know we've ever actually played 30 days of night as a role play campaign yeah i mean for anyone who doesn't know 30 days of night it's basically a film where i forget what it's actually says i think it's the arctic circle it might be the antarctic it's somewhere where like there's there's a there's a 30-day period where like, the sun doesn't shine, basically. And a load of vampires are like, right, we're going to go into this town and we're just going to drink everyone dry. It's going to be like party time for the undead, basically. And you get to watch a group of survivors sort of defend themselves against it. And that's one of those films, though, where it sort, of, uh, it sort of blurs the line between zombies and vampires a bit. Because although they're technically vampires in that film, they don't really behave like your stereotypical vampire. They're mm. just sort of like oh, there's a person there, I'm going to leap on them, I'm going to like rip their throat out, move on to the next person, spray of blood everywhere. Then I know there are ones... I don't know, I, they do a bit of mooching around and chops in yeah, about I know, what I they're going to do. I know do there are and... ones that talk, but the mo- when you see them in action, they're just like mindless monsters like killing people, mm. which I, I think personally like fit, 
not exactly, but it's more like the zombie vibe rather than vampires. Whereas I tend to prefer to see. I mean, don't get me wrong. Vampires can be like that, but I've. I do you like the sexy vampires, John? Wow. Well, no, I, Is I, that what you're trying to say? I, I prefer my vampires as sort of like enigmatic, like villains who've got like plans and schemes, and you have to try and unravel the plans and schemes. Because the, the way I've always seen vampires, and this is, it, it, even if you go back to sort of um, Nosferatu, like the original black and white film with um, Shrek in it, which was an unauthorised adaption of Bram Stoker's Dracula, where they changed the name of Dracula to Count Orlock to avoid legal troubles. Um, if you look at it in that, the reason Nosferatu dies at the end is because he's he's captivated by the beauty of the young woman and she manages to like lure him to stay in her room until the sun starts coming up, and he doesn't because he's so enamoured of her, he doesn't realise it. The sun comes up, turns him to ash. So that portrays vampires as although they have all of the sort of human motivations, they also have human failings. So I've always seen sort of vampires as being an exaggeration of like the human strengths and the human weaknesses. So you've got the whole thing of uh, they've got a very forceful personality. They can draw people to them. Well, that's just being able to persuade people, but sort of blown up into a huge scale. But they've also got the thing where, like, the old idea of hospitality sort of back in the day, you know, if you don't invite them in, they can't come in. But, but because, obviously, religion was and still is to some people a massive thing, they can't stand the sight of a crucifix or a holy symbol. Mm-hmm. So I've always seen them as just being sort of like an exaggeration of us. So you have people who are, for whatever reason, are dependent on certain things, whether it's like drugs, drink, whatever. Everyone has their vices, whereas the vampire, it's that dialed up to 11, because they only have the one vice, blood, but they need it to function. Well, see, that was what made the uh, vampire character work in that Being Human series. Because he was obviously... Mitchell. Yeah, because originally he was metaphor for a drug addict yeah um, I mean vampires have been used a lot for that metaphor because obviously uh, the the symptoms of a vampire not having blood you know like sort of shaking getting weak and tend to be similar to people who've been denied a drug when they've been dependent on it for a long Mm -hmm. time see one of the things that I quite like to see in my vampire fiction is yeah the vampire's doing all his schemes and stuff he's up at the top and he looks like he's sort of this elegant like amazing figure like you know vampire stat in all his emo gear playing his guitar but the reality of it is that when they do go to do their feeding they are like the ones in 30 days of night humans are just cattle to vampires they've been watching families and putting couples together for centuries to be able to like feed on the children that have the right flavour and then put them together and maybe take a bit of power here and a bit of power there and meanwhile just stay in the background and pull little well, strings. Well, that's why. But then when it comes down to it, they've got a cellar somewhere where they just like to go and rip the limbs off people because they're vampires. But, but that's why that's why I prefer them as like a, a long-term villain rather than just like a, oh, it's a monster, Splat, it's dead, we've got its treasure. Because, vamp, like you say, vampires have been around for like hundreds of years and I have to think that like even like the dumbest of vampires who survived like 100 years, 
is going to have seen some stuff over those hundred years. So you're like your group of like fifth level adventurers like rocking in thinking that they shit. The vampire's gonna have seen like stuff like that before. It's like you mentioned in the previous episode, you were talking about how vampires are affected by clerical turning. A vampire has been alive for a hundred years, he's gonna know that clerics are dangerous to him. So he's gonna have taken measures to prevent that or to to deal with that in some way. Which I think can also be a difficulty of using vampires because you've got to make them seem prepared and like they know what they're doing, but you've got to do it in a way that just doesn't mean that all of the player characters' abilities get notified because that's obviously no fun for the player characters. See, this again, it's where you've got to pitch it to your group. Are your group going to want to go against some sort of Machiavellian villain who wants to, like, take control of all the stuff in the background across the whole of the series and they might not even know it's going on for the first half of the campaign or are they the kind of group that wants to rock into a dungeon fight a couple of wolves and a couple of like demonic servants of some kind and then go and stick a stake through dracula's heart because i can see how both games would be fun i know which one of the two i'd rather play and I suspect you'd probably rather play the other one, but this is like well, the that, skill that's, of that's, it. Isn't that's it? one of the strengths of the um, the vampire as an antagonist as well, that you can sort of flip it to use it for either mm-hmm. of those roles. So if if you want to have like the thirty days of night beast just feeding on people as a monster to defeat, you can do that. But if you want to make them slightly more longer term and more Machiavellian, you can also do that as well. And you don't need different stats to do that. But it's also certainly something like Buffy if you're playing a vampire hunter you want to get a chance to hunt some vampires you want to get a chance to kill some vampires you want to get a chance to do that like reasonably often maybe not every single session but you don't take the vampire hunter package and then go and fight in the greenskin wars yeah but to be honest (laughs) I think if you're going to take a if you're going to take like a vampire hunter package in like inverted commas you need to try and hunt vampires appropriately. I, I, certainly if I was running a game, I wouldn't make hunting and finding vampires dead easy just because someone was a vampire hunter. If you, if you want something that's much easier, you become a goblin hunter or something similar. Mm-hmm. But again, that, that's down to individual tastes and what sort of game you're running, to be honest. Because I, I run a lot of OSR games where it's like the, the encounters aren't scaled. It's like if, you, if you're not clever about it and you don't do your research first on whatever monster it is, it would just wipe the floor with you and you'll be rolling new characters. Fair. Whereas I suppose if it's a slightly more sort of cinematic or heroic scale game, mm-hmm. or like you say, like a, a Buffy game or an Angel game, yeah, obviously vampire hunting's going to be a big thing in that because it's, it's a vampire's like game. So, what other sorts of like uses of vampires have we seen in pop culture, movies, whatever? But I was going to say, you, you mentioned like jokingly like the sexy vampire earlier mm-hmm. on there is the fact that vampires have been used as like a metaphor for like sensuality for for years and years ever since dracula really i mean look at dracula look at um louis lestat in Anne rice's novels look at pretty much most vampires in like more modern stuff and they have as well as the magnetic force of personality we talked about they have the they have this charisma and this charm to them and they are again it's there's something portrayed as being very sensual about them feeding on someone so 
just to mention briefly, like Vampire the Masquerade, you have the kiss when you feed on someone, they go into this like euphoric state where they're sort of like their mind's a bit hazy and they don't really remember being fed upon. They just remember that like something they enjoyed happened to them. So I, I've seen it very much as the we use the drug metaphor for them their existence mm-hmm. on blood. I see the their sort of feeding, which let's face it, it's a violation mm-hmm. of somebody. Because you're like you're forcibly like compelling someone to enable you to feed on mm-hmm. them. It's basically they've it's like the dark side of sort of sensuality, if you will. Because you've got like mm-hmm. the person who appears charming on the surface, they're very magnetic, you know, everyone likes them, but they're using that to effectively force themselves on someone <laughs> and take something from them. And this may be why I quite like that scene to be a gore fest. Yeah. Well, they're, they're it it probably wrong. makes me less uncomfortable. Well, yeah, but don't get me wrong. This like is a it? whole thing where, like, neither one of us is qualified to get into all the feminist discussions that could be had at this point in the conversation. Oh yeah, well, but don't get me wrong. It is. We're not going to. Vampires are cool. Enjoy your vampires. Well, well, don't get me wrong. It, it it is obviously an uncomfortable subject. <laughs> but that then again, I'm like, it's a horror creature. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. Well, yeah. It's supposed to be horrifying. This is it. And, and, and if you if you if, th- if you think yeah. about the act of just like draining someone's life away, uh, I, know, I know we're a bit blasé about it because we've seen it in numerous films and whatever. But it's a horrifying thing. Like you're you're lessening someone just because like you need something. Is what it comes down to at the end of the day. Indeed, yeah. And this is another one of those things where like. Role play can get a bit intense, and you do need to know your player group if you are going to get intense with these sort of things. Yeah, I mean, what what we would say, and like, like I said, we, we we'll wrap this up here. But like we said, we might come back to this in the future. But mm-hmm. what I'm sure what both me and Hannah would say is, you you know your group better than we know your group. If you if you think it's going to be better to just use the vampires as like a monster, like Hannah said, you fight some wolves, you fight some ghouls, romp in a dungeon, yeah. kick open a coffin, put some stakes in, keep him if, talking, and then pull down the curtains. If that's what your players enjoy and what you enjoy, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you want to go a bit deeper into the sort of metaphors, what they stand for, you can do that. But obviously, you want to make sure that both you and your players are going to be comfortable with it because those sort of storylines can be, whilst they can be very interesting, they can also be very dark and potentially disturbing. If you and your players are up for that and you think that's compelling, great, but obviously you need to make sure that everyone's on the same page. And this is the big benefit of using vampires for like a, a story that you're creating for your own group uh, or for your own campaign world. Because everybody sort of thinks they know what the strengths and weaknesses of vampires are. Everybody sort of thinks they know how they're going to fit into the game. But your vampires are going to be tweaked just a little bit here and there, specifically. And as long as you're consistent with that, you've then got a piece of mythology in your game world that everybody can instantly use to like get into your game world because everybody knows what a vampire is. And they know that they went and fought one. I mean, even if you do like a simple flip, like you go, like, oh, it's uh, it, it's not silver they're, they're affected by, it's like Electrum or it's gold or whatever. And you, you might go like, oh, just pulling a random reason out of my backside. You go, oh, yeah, gold, because it represents the sun. That's why they're, they're repelled by it. There you go. That's a, that's a little change. You, the, um, the stereotypical crucifix to repel them. 
do crucifixes exist in your world if it's a fantasy world with fantasy mm-hmm. gods does any holy symbol work how does that go down but as hannah said you need to portray that consistently in your world but you can make those changes because unless the the players characters would know a lot about vampires their out character knowledge shouldn't matter anyway obviously we all know it does because we all know vampires yeah. but if you check if you change it and go like oh actually like stakes don't work on vampires in my world it's something else and when your vampire rocks up, one of the player characters is like, oh, I'm going to snap this broom off and stick it through his chest. And the vampire's like, and what? <laughs> the, the player can't really complain about it because their character wouldn't have known that anyway. So so you, you've got a lot of scope to do things with the vampires. But as we're saying, just a, a sort of closing thought, just make sure you and your players are on the same Pitch page. Pitch it to your group. Have fun with it. Yeah, that's, that's the main <laughs> thing. I mean, obviously everyone's there to have fun. But... That's it for this second Friend or Foe Friday episode on vampires. Like we say, if you've got anything you want to hear about vampires or indeed any other monsters, let us know. You can drop us a voicemail message at SpeakPipe. There'll be a link in the description of this show. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Till we see you next time, take care, have fun, stay safe and keep gaming. See you later. Bye. Um, I did look for the Buffy RPG core book, which I'm sure we have somewhere, but couldn't locate. To be fair, it's one of your books. It could be anywhere, sweetie. I don't know. Picking on me on the internet. I prefer to think of it as stating facts, sweetie. So...